0: Is it a tiger? No. Is it a shark? Yes, but
1: not just a shark. Well, then what is it? Tiger plus a shark. What, 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 what tiger shark?
0: Welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I'm Sarah Buddery.
1: And I'm MJ Smith. And this week we are joined by a guest. Uh, We have Kim Morrison with us. Kim, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for being here. Um, Before we get started, we have to ask every guest, uh, the Jaws question. So uh, if you've listened before, you know what that is. Uh, if you haven't, it's this. Uh, what is what is your personal history with Jaws and and um, your presumably love of it? I would be, I hope you love it. If not, <laughs> I really, actually, if you hate Jaws, call out. I'm going to shout out for guests that hate, jo- hate Jaws. I really want to talk to you. Um, but uh, yeah, just explain with us your uh, journey with Jaws and, and why you love it or maybe why you don't. <laughs> Um, So I've been a horror fan for like ages
2: mm. and my mum had quite a good system I think of um, instead of just saying like I couldn't watch horror films she would introduce me to the ones that she thought were age appropriate even if <laughs> maybe <in> the certification <laughs> on the box wasn't completely age appropriate and jaws is one of her favorite favorite films ever um so that was one that i watched quite early i can't really remember how young i was i want to say maybe like eight or ten um it's one that was on the tv quite a lot as well so we used to watch it but yeah i remember us like sitting down to watch it because it was one of her favorites and even though there's like occasional gory moments it's like not too traumatizing for a child and I think because the monster was just like a shark and those are things that exist rather than like some scary um, killer like I was constantly trying to convince her to let me watch Nightmare on Elm Street films and that wasn't gonna fly <laughs> but um, we got I got to watch Jaws quite a lot and then I think um, because it was on TV so much and when I was younger you basically had to rely on the things that were on like four or five channels um until we got Sky when I was like in high school um I just watched it loads because it was on I just sort of soaked up whatever chance I could get to watch any any horror films and I think Jaws is one of those ones that it just never stops being scary probably because it is a thing that like even though it probably gives sharks a bad bad reputation but sharks have the potential to eat you if you're in the ocean so it does seem scarier it never sort of loses that that kind of fear factor and that like eerie creepiness and i think that's why it works so may- so well on repeat viewings which is why i, I watch it as much as i do <laughs> yeah
1: uh the the age appropriate film my mom showed me when i was about nine or ten was the shining so <laughs> <laughs> can relate i guess nice It was one of those things where my mom had like a memory of watching it and was like, yeah, it's probably fine. And then we watched it and she was like, well, you win some, you lose some.
0: Uh, (laughs) So you're traumatized forevermore.
1: (laughs) This is Let's Jaws for a minute. And let's talk about this scene, the timestamp for this scene. I think this is one of the longer uh, sections that we have it's 47 minutes and 11 seconds through 50 minutes and 22 seconds and this scene is pretty quiet it's a lot of eerie music with uh brody and hooper coming up on ben gardner's boat brody recognizes the boat hooper asks him if he knows who he is brody says yes and informs him that he's a fisherman um and So Hooper uses that as a chance to investigate and he uh, slaps on his wetsuit and his slippers and makes his way to investigate the wreckage and finds a great white tooth and then loses the great white tooth (laughs) after what I think might be my favorite jump scare in film history and uh, surfaces up to the top of the the water and just kind of shoots Brody a look like what the hell is going on (laughs) um and that's basically the scene in a nutshell on a very high level but um what if uh what if anything did you guys notice in this scene that you maybe hadn't before you thought was an interesting um point to bring up Kim we'll start with you
2: I think the thing I liked most about this scene um is like a lot of the the scary stuff in Jaws happens like just during the daylight I guess it's very like sunny obnoxiously bright daylight and I quite enjoyed this sort of eerie creepy darkness and the sort of like stark brightness of the light on their boat with the kind of fog on the water and just the sort of like the way it kind of skims over the the bite out the side of the boat that I guess like if you weren't properly like paying attention when it first happens you kind of miss it it's so like quick it just sort of doesn't make a big deal about it and it's just this sort of like i think the fact that there's no like the boat's mostly intact apart from this like little gouge out the side i think it sort of hints at like something horrible has happened because there's no people there it's just sort of floating around in the fog but there's um there's no like actual carnage or smashed up boat or like bloody people or anything it's just this sort of like Oh, great. Like, what has happened on this boat? Like, you've just got no idea. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely... I think what I probably didn't notice before, I just always remember the, like, reveal of Ben Gardner, but I maybe didn't appreciate the sort of creepy, eerie build-up um to it, which um I guess a lot of the other scenes maybe don't have because there's usually quite a lot going on, like loads of kids in the beach and loads of splashing and stuff. This is just very, like focused on the boat and it's very um yeah it's very creepy um which i really enjoyed.
0: I'm I'm so glad you mentioned that right at the top Kim because that was one of the <laughs> things that i really liked and really appreciated about this scene as well in that I think everyone knows this scene and actually this was a really popular choice uh, for people, <laughs> uh, potential guests to to talk about. A lot of people wanted this one, but you snapped it up first. So yes. uh, well <laughs> done. Congratulations um, on, on getting there first. But yeah, I, everyone knows that moment, the head in the boat. People talk about it. MJ, you mentioned how it's one of your favorite jump scares in in film history and I would have to agree as well. But I think what isn't talked about enough is the whole buildup to that reveal as well and it's so effectively done and i think it's such an effective jump scare because of that really slow build up to it and the the fact as well like you said that the the boat on on the top of the water only has a small amount of damage there's a crack in the um the sort of the front windshield there's the chunk taken out of the the side of the boat and it's a pretty neat chunk as well Mm -hmm. it's literally a sort of like a a semicircle that is cut out the side of this boat so you can see that something has happened but it's not absolute carnage and then even then when you go under the surface when we go under with hooper there's this sort of big hole in the side of the boat but it still isn't it's not the kind of the wreck that maybe you would expect it still looks pretty intact for a boat um that has you know been attacked by a shark so It is sort of luring you into a full sense of security a bit as well. And I think because the score is not, quote, the Jaws score, not the sort of the shark theme, we're not expecting to see the shark. So I think we start to relax a little bit as well. And the thing that makes the reveal of the head so effective as well is that it's the second time that that Hooper looks through the hole in the boat that the head appears. So the first time is when he sees the tooth um, and we can see that the hole is empty. I mean, he doesn't sort of like shine the, the light right into it, but we can sort of see, okay, uh, there's this hole in the side of the boat looks empty in there. He's found a tooth and we're focused on that. So we start to relax a little bit as well. And even when you know that scare is coming, you're still kind of like, <laughs> I cannot remember exactly at what point it appears. I know it's coming, but it's because... All of these things are are making us relax a little bit. I think if we saw the boat was absolutely trashed, we would be expecting something. Um, if, you know, their the head appeared sort of like straight away, again, it, it wouldn't catch you as off guard, I think, as when you get that build-up. Um, and it's still it's still so effective as a scare, but I think that, yeah, the, the reason why it's so effective is because of the build-up to it and that eerie music and the darkness as well and how slow it is and i this is i think the longest bit that we'll talk about in this podcast as well and i really tried to cut it but i couldn't because the build up to it is so much a part of the jump scare that i wanted to talk about it as a whole so that's why we've got this meaty old three minute uh (laughs) segment to talk about today but there's so much there's so much to talk about in just this bit
1: yeah i think um well kim you're obviously you're you're a horror uh journalist and you you cover horror movies is almost exclusively am i right about that yeah 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 so i like i i feel like i exist in sort of two worlds on on uh whatever film twitter is um where it's like 60 40 i like i feel like i have a lot of connections on that side but i don't exclusively write about it but one thing i've noticed is that horror a lot of people have a lot of takes on the genre (laughs) and uh there's a lot of discourse always there's never not discourse happening (laughs) amongst the horror community and one of those things that pops up every so often is is jaws a horror movie and i think the large consensus has been yes especially in the last handful of years it's trended that way but i remember before one of the most popular horror twitter debates was Oh, well Jaws isn't really a horror movie. Oh, yes it is. Uh I think it is and I present this scene as evidence along with <laughs> most of the other kills in uh in the film. But I as someone who very like comes down on the side of Jaws as a horror film, uh I think this is definitely exhibit a <laughs> as far as what this film does as a horror film and it's so Creepy, and it's so effective, and it's so eerie, and just, like, it's really unsettling from the start. Like, that initial shot of this clip of Hooper and Brody just looking at the boat, they're not scared. They're a little nervous, which can bleed over into fear. Brody's scared of the water, so he is pretty terrified, but... (laughs) He's not necessarily scared of what they're coming upon. He's more confused. And he, he's, you can see in his face as the scene start that, that starts that he's in detective mode. Like he's trying to put two and two together of like, okay, it's nighttime. We're on the water. I hate that. I'm drunk. I, You know, there's, there's just, there's a lot going on in his, in his brain. That's a boat. Oh shit. It's, you know, it's Ben Gardner's boat. Um, hooper is you know he's calculating like okay that's a boat we need to see and investigate and and all this stuff so there's a lot of of sort of gears turning in their heads but it hasn't manifested as fear yet outside of brody being afraid of the water in general but we've had that since you know the end of the the shark autopsy scene so um that said the music is letting the audience know like hey start getting scared like something <laughs> mysterious and spooky is about to happen and i think it taps into this sort of primal fear that we have right so when you have uh when you have this these like aliens and slashers and serial murderers and stuff not that serial killers don't exist but they don't exist in like the way a Freddy Krueger exists, right? Like there there aren't there aren't actually supernatural killers out there. There just are sharks. Like sharks just <laughs> exist. They're just something we have to deal with. And I think the music underscoring like it underscores this thing that kind of bypasses our higher thinking of like, hey, there's just scary stuff that exists that we is just a part of our day-to-day lives even if there weren't serial killers or people who did crimes or and things like that, like, there are still scary animals and we don't really know anything about them. And that's what makes them really scary is that they they just, you know, I think uh, Hooper talks about it too. They just operate on instinct. Like, they, they exist strictly to survive. They don't have a higher thinking beyond, you know, eat and mate. And reproduce and keep the line going, and that's it. And so I think the score here does a lot of heavy lifting. There's not a lot of dialogue in this scene at all. And uh the the score has this very like creepy bass that permeates it. It's like not quite a bass line with notes, it's like a like a tone that 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 Runs like as as uh, what am I trying to say? Acts as like the bed for this scene, and it's really it's really great. Man, this scene's great. <laughs> <laughs> Confirmed. <laughs>
2: I think just talking about the jump scare. I think um, it's one of those ones that yeah. I watched I watched this. I watched the whole film, and then I watched the scene a few times, and I think. If I watched it like six times I maybe jumped like four. It's it's mad how <laughs> how much it gets you, even though you know what's coming. And I think it is because um the horrible noise that happens when the head like rolls out of the the um the hole inside of the boat, which sounds like a person screaming on the top of like someone like stabbing a violin or something. It's just this horrible, really like sharp, high pitched noise, uh, noise even. I think um mostly in horror films when they use I mean a lot of horror films use a noise as a jump scare by itself and you go like ah that was a loud noise but I wasn't actually scared of anything scary and I think the thing that this scene does so well is it combines something scary with the noise but the noise sort of comes after the scare your mm-hmm. brain sort of mm-hmm. registers the heads and then you're like and then the noise happens and then it all sort of like clamors together in your brain at the, at the same time Um, which I think is why it's so effective and like he said Sarah as well. You can't you cannot pinpoint the exact moment that it's gonna happen. It doesn't matter how many times you've seen the film. You can't like remember the exact beat it's gonna happen. I think that's why um it gets you. It's so it's just so intense and, and the I mean the head itself is very <laughs> like gross and scary, but like um I think there are like gorier um like body effects and things in in Jaws, but I think it's just the sheer I think it's just it being, like, his face and his eyes and everything as well. It's this horrible, just, like, sort of slow way that he lolls out of the hole Uh, (laughs) as well. Like, it's not like a, it's not like a instant, like, jump, like, something really fast happening. It's very slow. I think... It's probably what the whole scene is like. Like you said, it's a lot of build up and then even him just being in the water and finding the tooth and taking the time to look around and then, then the scare coming. Everything happens very slowly. and um, it's just that like horrible noise on the top that really just like um gives you the jolt if the if the face didn't and yeah, it's 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 brilliant because I think jump scares can really easily lose their effectiveness. And I think Jaws in general, um, all the this the the bit where the shark comes out um, the water when Brody's thrown the chum as well that never stops being like oh my god so i think <laughs> like for if people don't consider jaws a horror film um i think they should at least consider it like a masterclass in jump scares because um it's it's just fantastic the fact that they never lose their ability to give you the creeps even doesn't matter how many times um mm. you've seen the film it's always as effective which i think is is really good and the other thing i quite liked about this scene is um i know in the scene of be- the or a couple of scenes beforehand when they're sort of getting ready for the massive shark hunt there's a lot of sort of references to the fact that Brody doesn't really know a lot of people in town and he doesn't know people's names and he doesn't have that connection with them i think the fact that he actually knows ben gardner enough to like recognize his boat makes it like extra sad <laughs> he's the person that they find dead munched by the shark because it could have been all these random people that are just coming into town that nobody knew i think the fact that it's someone local and someone that Brody actually has clearly a relationship with is probably well i mean he's obviously very intense about catching the shark anyway but i think that definitely intensifies it because it's just like well look this is yeah another townsperson it's not even a random person it's it's someone that we know that's been munched um by the shark so i quite like that the fact that yeah you get that reference that he that he actually knows him and that mm. he's the guy who like welcomes Hooper on the off the boat but he doesn't remember that. Um mm. <laughs> I do wonder if he remembers once he sees his face, so he not really <laughs> get that he doesn't really get the chance to have that conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's a really nice link there actually with with Brody and Ben Gardner. Um I think it's in uh it's right at the, the beginning of the scene with the The tiger shark when they've sort of they're stringing it up on the dock and one of the first things that Brody says when he approaches the group of fishermen is um he asks if Ben Gardner caught it so Mm -hmm. he does not know the names of all the people on the island Uh, I think it's it's very clear that he is like still finding his feet but he knows Ben Gardner and this is not the sort of the first time that that he has mentioned him, you know, he sees this big shark that's been caught and he assumes it was Ben Gardner who caught it because Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you assume that it was clearly one of the better fishermen on the Island instead of that absolute group of chumps who (laughs) did supposedly catch it. Um, Hooper, I don't know if he's ever introduced to Ben Gardner by name. I think he, he makes yeah. uh, a lasting impression on him with his sort of young fella uh, remark when he welcomes him onto the dock. But I think that, you know, Hooper is is so focused then in, in finding Brody that obviously there's not sort of like an introduction made there. So mm-hmm. Brody knows this boat, knows who Ben Gardner is. And I think that, weirdly, even though... Uh, this is where we find out Ben Gardner has died. This is actually where we find out a little bit more about Ben Gardner, but it's all really implied. And obviously this idea that, you know, he is one of the few people on the island that Brody actually knows by name and recognises his boat. Clearly Ben Gardner is someone who has a reputation on the island as a good fisherman, is someone who is sort of like known, particularly in that community um, and, you know Brody with his, his sort of lack of knowledge of, of all of the islanders at least knows this guy there is also something I saw in this scene which I've never noticed before and when I tell you my mind was blown <laughs> I honestly I, I'm sorry if no one else picked up on this bit I'm excited to blow your mind right now but did any of you pick, pick up on the sort of the first thing that they shine their light on when they're looking for the boat Um, it is something yellow, I will say. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it or not. I noticed it, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell what it
1: was. (laughs) I'm looking at it, but I, yeah, I I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: Okay. Okay. It is a yellow barrel and it's. Oh, it sure is. Yeah. It's so (laughs) quick, um, because they're literally like, they're passing by and they're sort of seeing some debris that's floating. Um, this is before they get to the boat and sort of see, the shape of the boat uh with, with the torch but a, a yellow barrel sort of like bobs past um the boat and uh we see those yellow barrels uh quite a bit later on uh with with quint that is uh what he uses to uh he sort of attaches them to the sharks and then obviously depending on the shark size if they've got a certain number of barrels tied to them, it's harder for the sharks to to go down uh, beneath the surface. So they're sort of mm-hmm. up at the surface and easier to catch. And what struck me is we've got some great Ben Gardner and Quint parallels right here. Um, They look very similar <laughs> for a start. Mm-hmm. And Craig Kinsbury, the guy who plays Ben Gardner, was Quint's uh, or Robert Shaw's, sort of go-to guy in terms of getting into the character for Quint so even outside of the film we know there's there's a connection between these two characters and the real person who played Ben Gardner was basically the the source and inspiration for Quint as a character. so there's that which is very cool but also something connecting these two characters within the Jaws universe Ben Gardner I, clearly, by the use the fact that you see this yellow barrel that is also a technique that he knows and he uses when going out and catching the shark so this isn't just some like quint thing this is clearly like what the the informed and better fishermen shall we say of amity use when they are going out to hunt a shark is um is taking out these these barrels these weighted barrels and and attaching them to the shark and I Cannot believe that I've never spotted that before. Like I know it's very, very quick. And I think when you know this film as well as we do, you know this jump scare is coming and you're sort of like you're gearing yourself up for it and you're not really look at looking at what is <laughs> floating past the boat. But I paused it today and was like, wait <laughs> a minute. <laughs> and I had to like rewind. We're like six seconds into this, to this scene, and it's like right there. I was like, I gotta go back and and, and see what that thing is. And um there it is. It's right there, and mind equals blown.
2: <laughs> I am. Um, I read a theory online that um, apparently, apparently, um, is Richard Dreyfuss' son thinks that Quint killed um, Ben Gardner. It wasn't the shark, um, so that might work into that theory. Oh, no. <laughs> like maybe they were both <laughs> in the in the same. Part of the ocean and had a fight over the shark and then Quinn murdered him because he was going to steal his um rewards money. Yeah, so yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, mm. I could see the thing floating in the ocean. I couldn't tell what it was um, even on several several watches, but um, yeah, no, that's that is that is interesting that he would be using the same very specialist um technique here. Mm. It kind of makes Quint not seem as I guess uh, special as he was making himself <laughs> out to be. <laughs>
1: yeah i think uh one i didn't notice that and that's so good that's so great (laughs) um two rest in peace ben gardner Mm -hmm. but i also while you were talking sarah could not stop thinking about how funny it would have been if ben gardner's head would have popped out and hooper just goes hello back
0: (laughs) (laughs) hello back young fella (laughs) (laughs) oh boy if Jaws was a comedy (laughs)
1: yeah um but yeah that jump scare is so good and there's there's this this is gonna get this is a weird analogy and I don't know if anyone who's like not a musician or not a musician particularly in the genre of music, would understand, but um, so my dad was a he was a drummer for most of his life professionally. like he played live music and uh, more specifically, he played live country music. and country music, not a super complicated genre of music, but he would always have a hard time when they would do very, very, very slow songs, of which there are a lot in that genre of music. So it was always hard for him to keep time. And like, it was it was hard for him to play that slow. His idea was like, anyone can play fast. Like, that's how he got punk rock music, right? <laughs> and uh, he, he said, you know, it takes a certain like touch and finesse to like lock into what everyone's doing and play that slow because you don't want to, um, particularly live because your adrenaline's going when you're on stage and things like that. And so this is sort of what this... Jump-Scare reminds me of because it is kind of a lot slower, right? This isn't like a typical Like they're shutting the bathroom mirror and there's something behind them. This is like a really slow build-up with eerie music and then the head just kind of floats into frame and then we hit the noise afterwards and that timing is so specific and so weird and I know once again, my dad had a hard time when he was playing country music covers to hit those those the, the way that the song was crafted the way it wanted to be. Because when you're playing, I think country music in particular, if you're playing in dance halls where people want to hear the songs they're familiar with and they want to dance and things like that. And so um, he would have a hard time. He would listen to the records over and over again about like just trying to figure out how they're they're timing these, you know, pieces of the song and I feel like that's sort of the how jump scares are and have been since this one because that timing is so specific and so off just just by a, a little bit <clears throat> but off enough to every other jump scare ever that it it just it's this own unique little thing and absolutely the reason I missed the yellow barrel um is because I started the scene and I was like, oh no, I've never watched this with headphones before. <laughs> I am not looking forward to this Mm -hmm. and I kept nervously like playing with the volume knob on my microphone or clicking back into the Google Doc or clicking into Audacity (laughs) like I very much (laughs) was just had this nervous energy going into the scene of like oh no (laughs) I don't want to hear this in my headphones and sure enough I freaking jumped at the thing Mm -hmm. and every time I watch it I go this is the time where it doesn't this is the time where it doesn't Work and it always works,
0: yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head, Kim, when you said like you watched it six times, and four of those times you probably <laughs> it probably worked. Um, and I think that the other thing too is it's so effective, which is really a testament to I'm gonna say the music here. Because it's so obvious this was added after the fact, much like the 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 Chrissy arm, and not just because the Ben Gardner head looks a little silly. I don't think it does really. I think it looks actually pretty gross <laughs> with the eyeball missing and stuff. But um there's a lot of shots that it's clearly they're using doubles for uh uh Scheider and and Richard Dreyfus, and because it shoots them from behind a lot, and there's a lot of them ADRing. Like the sound doesn't sound as as clean as it does it sounds like it's stitched together the way the certain parts of the the examination of chrissy Mm. are and it's a little more maybe it's just because i've watched it uh, because of watching it in this sort of isolated format we're watching it in but it really like it really feels like this scene is held together with bubblegum and paper clips Mm -hmm. as far as the uh the not the framing like the framing is actually really good and has some good visual storytelling but just kind of not really doing a good job hiding the the stand-ins um (laughs) for them and then the 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 really kind of all over the place sound mix as far as the dialogue is concerned so for something that when but i've never noticed that because it's so tense and scary because of the music and knowing that the jump scare is about to happen, that it took me until I broke this down until it's base elements that I was like, Hey, wait a minute. This is kind of like an afterthought scene, actually.
0: I think I, I, I I toy between the, the, the what it is about this jump scare that makes it so effective. And I think that so, so much of it is in, is in that sound and is how, effective it is and i think that yeah there's some of the dialogue like you were saying mj the it the sound is like a little off but then it's that sort of like eerie quiet and then the actual noise that i say the noise the head makes a head doesn't make a noise (laughs) when it appears or at least i don't think it does i've not had any personal experience of this (laughs) um but the the sort of the score accompaniment that comes with that it sort of comes out of nowhere and There's probably something in this, and you can probably speak to this a bit better than me because I don't watch that much horror. Um, But a lot of people talk about jump scares in whether it is the what you're seeing um, is scary and makes you jump or whether it is in the sound. And I think in this, it's 100% is in the sound. And I have a Mm. real life example of this because I went to see Jaws with a live orchestra. One of the best things I have ever seen and um, they they mucked up the this particular <laughs> music cue, and obviously everyone's waiting for it. And honestly, it was only like a half second out, um, but it was the noise that made people the noise that made people jump rather than the head appearing. And obviously, if you're paying the amount of money that we pay to go and sit in the Royal Albert Hall and have an orchestra <laughs> play the score to a film. chances are you probably would have seen this before i doubt anyone is like dropping that much money to be like oh this seems like a good movie to go and watch (laughs) that i've never seen so this is an audience full of people who know what is coming and so many people still jumped and it was it was when the sound hit it wasn't when the it wasn't when the head appears because uh the fact that (laughs) the fact that they mucked it up and didn't get it quite right um It came even later than it kind of like does in in the film it is the sort of the head and then the noise um pretty instant when you're watching it in the film but yeah when uh it even caught the uh the orchestra off guard uh is (laughs) is how effective a jump scare it is and just another thing very quickly my favorite thing to do is watch jewels with people who have never seen it before and even better if i can make them watch it in a cinema as well i went with some of my work colleagues uh my old place of work to see jaws and i think two or three of them maybe had never seen jaws before um obviously this was a test of our friendship uh they couldn't be friends (laughs) with me until we went to see jaws and i was like (laughs) in this scene i was not watching the film i was just like staring at them because i was like i want (laughs) to see them jump so (laughs) I'm just like staring at my friend like my my chin is on my hands as I'm just like staring at them waiting for the moment they're gonna jump and my friend leapt out of her seat (laughs) when this bit happened and I was like my work here is done Uh, this is a great horror film that jump scare works and I hope these people are still my friends afterwards (laughs) after I put them through this Um, but so good honestly just I mean this scene has so many other great things in it as well but this jump scare is just something else. And this is from a person who doesn't really like horror that much. And jump scares are one of the things that puts me off <laughs> horror because I'm a very nervous person and I will jump at anything. Um, but I am now desensitized to Jaws. I've seen it so many times that it does not make me jump in the way that it uh, that it used to. And I, after my seven, I think, watches of the scene today in preparation for this podcast... Uh, I knew exactly. <laughs> I knew exactly when it was going to appear. So I, I have, uh, I've cracked it. I've cracked the code of the uh, the Jaws jump scare.
2: <laughs> I feel like um, you're right about the the music. It is probably more the music you're reacting to. But I think, well, the way I I feel, I think Jaws gets away with it. I think one of my most hated jump scares in horror films is when people like throw a cat into like a corridor and the cat goes like and there's nothing sca- like the noise gives you a fright and but you're like why is a cat like I've had cats they do not just like jump and scream like that it's so <laughs> pointless yeah. or when they just do ones where someone jumps out and they add a loud noise on the top I feel like Jaws yeah. um gets away with it because like Under the water is obviously really quiet. Um, Hooper wasn't gonna be able to like scream or anything. So I feel like the noise is sort of like a substitute for his reaction, which is what you would kind of expect. Like he just sort of does like lots of bubbles, like shouting. I think that it's quite a it feels like a it feels less of a like noise with the scare. It feels more like a reaction to the scare, which I think is maybe why it works. And I think as well, like I said before, because the head just like rolls into the scene so slowly, um, you maybe were never going to quite get that, like, oh, because it happens, like, most jump scares are, like, really fast, and there's sort of, like, zoom at the screen or whatever, or whatever. I think the head sort of lolling in the screen, the jump scare sort of enhances it rather than, like, um taking over it. And I think I have seen Jaws a lot. I've maybe not seen it for a little while before I rewatched it for this, but I had sort of... I'd forgotten about the noise. I remembered the head and the the sort of scariness, but I'd sort of forgotten about the noise. So I don't think it, like, overshadows the scare. But then, because I'd forgotten about it, I think that's what got me um, so much because it is just... It's one of those, like, really weird... I think it's because it's, like, an implacable noise. Like, you can't quite decide what... All the different layers of art, I think, is what makes it so creepy. Combined with like the darkness of the ocean and the fact that like Hooper has the tooth in his hand and he knows the shark like could be behind him, and then this body like it's all like combines in a one, I think, to just make it this amazing scare. And I I don't think the scene would work as well without the noise, but I don't like begrudge the noise causing most of the fear as I do sometimes with other scares and horror films because I think they just use like a loud like bang really cheap players I thought they really I think they really thought about how to like complement the scene with that really like nails on a uh, chalkboard sort of horrible high pitched noise
1: yeah I think that's an excellent point right like I don't I don't think that um I don't know I go, I go back and forth with With jump scares i think they're a case-by-case basis i know a lot of people are like it has jump scares i'm out because they're stupid but i i think they can be used effectively i think this Mm -hmm. is the perfect example of them but i think there are other films that use them effectively and and there are some that don't and um i feel like if you rely too much on them you can kind of get locked into the rhythm of them so you can kind of count them off like okay three two one jump scare right here yeah, yeah i saw it but i think that's what sets this one apart too is that not only can you not time it but you're just it's so unexpected in the context of the rest of the movie like there aren't really any other jump scares in the movie so why would you expect one in this movie like i feel like if you're in a horror movie you if you go to watch a horror movie nowadays you expect at least one probably mm-hmm. and uh i think that you can um that it's very meticulous like you said kim like it's very well thought out it's very confident it's actually kind of a risky choice i think because it is it does lean so heavily onto a specific genres uh conventions and Mm -hmm. tropes that you run the risk of it seeming like rote a little bit of just like uh yeah okay i guess this is a horror movie now (laughs) um and it it doesn't do that. The way they handle the tone from the beginning of this with the, the the boat entering the frame and the mystery of what are they looking at, the mystery of the fact that it is dark, like it is an inherently creepy setting. And then the performances that are drawn out of the, the actors in the midst of it are them trying to figure out what it is that is, that is happening. And then you have... Brody saying, oh, that's the boat of a local fisherman and one of the only local fishermen that he's on a first name basis with. So you personalize that to Brody and, and make that very centered on him. And he's saying, oh, okay, well, I know what's happened here. This is another shark attack victim, a member of the community that I think it's clear that, that Brody respected, right? Like, mm-hmm. Sarah, like you said, that he he name drops him immediately. He's like, "Oh, this must have been Ben Gardner, who who did this, right?" Which is why Quint killed him. He's tired of Ben Gardner giving <laughs> all the all the glory. Um, and uh, so he's, you know, he's the only fisherman we see referenced by name in this in, in, in that scene with the tiger shark. And so we know that Brody knows him pretty well, even though he doesn't know a lot of the people on the island very well. Which kind of implies to me that like. Ben Gardner is a bit of a good egg, you know, like there's, I feel like there's one person in the community who's just like, ah, you know, people are weird here, but you know, we're cool. And I feel like Ben Gardner was that to, uh, to Brody is, is kind of the relationship I see there. So it's just like, you know, when you find out that a bad thing happened to a good person, you're just like, ah, man, you know? And then on top of that, it's Brody's job to make sure stuff like this doesn't really happen, uh, necessarily, but also how do you plan for a shark? Right. (laughs)
0: You can't plan for a shark.
1: Is uh, is
0: the moral of this story? But um, yeah, we. Yep, that's the
1: overarching theme of Jaws.
0: <laughs> it absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. I think as like just, I think my final thing I'll say on the the jump scare. The we have other jump scares after this, but up to this point, and we're what forty seven minutes into the film. That's a fair chunk of a film to have without a jump scare. This is the first, and there are other ones after this. Um, not as many as you would find in some other horror films, but yeah, it's it's unexpected in so many ways. But I think as well, we've kind of been training ourselves to expect the shark, um, so then we don't mm. see we don't see the shark, and we get left the little breadcrumbs as well. Like he's found the tooth, so we're expecting the shark to sort of like spring up behind Hooper, and that certainly happens later in the film. Um, but instead, we get this monstrous looking head, and I think that is yet another thing that makes it so effective, because we're sort of train training ourselves to see the shark and be on the lookout for the shark, and we're not expecting this dude's head to just appear uh in the <laughs> hole in the boat. So it works on all levels. Um but we don't we don't get a huge amount of character stuff in this in this scene or a lot of dialogue between Hooper and Brody. But there is some that I that I think is sort of worth talking about and bear in mind that the previous scenes have been very sort of character heavy, dialogue heavy. So this is a much quieter scene as as you said MJ. Um but we we see very clearly the different reactions of Hooper and Brody to what they are about to do and Hooper is so chill about the whole thing compared to Brody and we can see Brody's panic really start uh start to set in and his suggestion is to to tow tow the boat in hooper is much more pragmatic and is just like let me put on my wetsuit and my flippers and get in there right now and see it the boat is right there i think as well maybe hooper is is conscious that there could be evidence on the boat that he doesn't want to lose by sort of dragging the boat in because if there is a tooth or something something like that on the boat dragging the boat into shore is potentially gonna dislodge that and and lose the evidence yeah. and that evidence does get lost, which is unfortunate. But uh Hooper, when he goes into the water, he knows what he is looking for. So I think that is his... He seems to know what he's looking for. So I think that is partly behind the sort of rationale of him just wanting to get in the water and, and look at it straight away. And he doesn't go in with uh sort of breathing apparatus or anything, no cage, nothing like that. He literally just goes in in like a, a wetsuit and flippers. So... I can see why Brody would be a little bit on edge just watching this guy kind of head into the water with very, very little protection and very little to sort of fend off uh, this shark. He probably thinks, this guy is absolutely insane. How much wine have I had? And is this guy really about to go into the water without any equipment whatsoever? Um, but yeah, Brody Brody says the thing about towing the boat in twice uh, as well and sort of repeating that same thing I think is a clear sign of that panic and anxiety that Brody is starting to feel and he really he's uncomfortable for sure and I think he is sobering up very quickly as yeah. well I think that sort of happens the second that uh Hooper says there's something out there I think Brody starts to sober up real quick and uh yeah there is there is one sort of like fun interaction between them when <laughs> Brody is like well what can I do and Hooper is like well just stay here or he's like nothing absolutely nothing and then like tells him not to touch the equipment as well it's just like yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't trust Brody in his slightly inebriated state uh with this very fancy equipment either just hands off Brody and uh let me let me do my thing I think is what he's is what he's trying to do
2: I think it's interesting because I, I think in a lot of like more kind of standard horror films, you would think Hooper's decision to go under the water a bit recklessly in the middle of the night it just seems like one of those like like don't do it, don't go up the stairs, don't shout, who's there kind of decisions. But I think it, it actually makes like complete <laughs> sense. You can kind of sense the desperation in in him and mm-hmm. um the been the pain of them actually because um they are trying to. Get some proof, basically, by morning to prove to the mayor that there is <laughs> still a shark out there, um, so that they can shut the beach. And so it it does seem a bit daft to head out in a boat in the middle of the night when you're a bit drunk, and and um, yeah, and go under the water when you think there's potentially a shark about. But I think it's this like, you can. You can sense the, like, bond forming between the pair of them because they seem to be the only, like, logical people in town that are actually taking the shark problem seriously. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they go to that extra effort of, like, doing the shark autopsy and then doing this, they really want to be sure. Whereas I think everyone else is very just happy to be, like, like, sweep it under the carpet and say, like, oh, we caught a shark and that'll make it look like the problem's gone away. I think the this scene really, like stresses the thoroughness of the pair of them and how they're very willing to like see it through till the end. Um and yeah it's nice to sort of see them yeah sort of bond a little bit I guess over their like shared um need to make sure that the shark isn't out there. So yeah, I think you'd usually be sort of shouting at Hooper but you're like you can you can feel that this is the only thing that they have that may suggest that the shark is still out there because obviously Ben Garner's boat went out around the same time that everyone caught the shark so if he had been killed by a shark it was going to be a different one so there's just that need to 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 risk it i guess to go into the water and try and find if there is any proof um which i think is yeah i think it's a nice it sort of proves how committed hooper is for this guy who's just sort of come in he has no real attachment to the town or anything and he's like he's not like quint or the other fisherman he's not really getting like any money for it or anything but he's just there to to help and i think the fact that he's willing to yeah chuck himself in the ocean (laughs) (laughs) for the potentialness of getting evidence that they might lose either way sort of gives you a good insight into into him as a as a person
1: there's a couple things that birdie does actually Sarah. when you were talking about him repeating the idea of um towing in the boat he also repeats that it's been Gardner's boat Mm -hmm. twice at the beginning when they come upon it so he's definitely in full-on panic mode where you're just like repeating phrases over and over to yourself because it's the only thing you can think and so you're like oh i was able to say that i'm gonna keep saying that because i can (laughs) that'll calm me down but it won't Mm. and um that and also it is very funny uh not funny haha but sort of ironic that he's like we gotta tow this in and hooper's like aren't you the chief of police we can't disturb a crime scene (laughs) you know like (laughs) um also, Hooper has that wetsuit on under his denim, doesn't
0: he? <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. Either he is the, the world's quickest dresser or he had that ready to go.
1: <laughs> like some sort of nautical Superman. <laughs> this is his fortress of solitude it makes perfect sense
0: yeah he gets in the shark cage spins around three times and he's in a wetsuit <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i was like i know this is the magic of editing but he was in that wetsuit too fast mm. which means he showed up at the brody's house like that <laughs>
0: That's what used st- to like when uh you had like swimming or when I had swimming lessons at school and stuff, I would to save time and so you wouldn't have to get changed like when you got there, you would put on your swimming costume like under your school clothes. So when you got to the pool, you're like ready to go straight away. He's he's a yeah. smart man, that Hooper. He knows what he He's yeah,
1: doing. prepared. <laughs> yeah, he was uh Yeah. Yeah, that's uh you that's how you can tell he was in the Boy Scouts because their mother would always be prepared. So <laughs> Exactly. Um, I I also love the look. This is probably the last thing I have. Uh, I love the look on Richard Dreyfuss's face when he surfaces here. I think it's such a great choice. Mm-hmm. Like, there is just this, like, what the fuck <laughs> look on his face <laughs> when he surfaces, where he's just like, you can just see, like, terror and regret of staying. <laughs> like, he's just like, I could have been on the shark asylum tomorrow, but here I am playing you know deputy to this inebriated (laughs) sheriff looking at (laughs) severed heads just floating by me
2: Mm.
0: yeah it's i think this is maybe the first time we've seen like real fear from hooper as well like he's been pretty confident in most of the other scenes or certainly the ones leading up to this but this i think is yeah the first time we see him actually look pretty scared um but it's great there's so much in in his face that doesn't need to be expressed with words and i think it's it's really it's really effective and um yeah great once again great silent acting from uh, from richard gracious <laughs> which which we love
1: <laughs> yep uh also the water is lit up yellow
0: yes this was my this was my final thing i had in my notes uh <laughs> that there is a, a really intense uh, amount of yellow in this scene to the point where, like, the water by the end is, like, entirely yellow. So you cannot tell me that this is (laughs) not a significant colour in Jaws because (laughs) they've just gotten real close to the shark, like, had a real, you know, brush with uh, very near and immediate danger and I know it's the lights on Hooper's boat, but the whole water is, is... yellow (laughs) when uber (laughs) is sort of like on the side of the boat at the end and there's other bits as well like the the torch that they use is yellow Mm -hmm. um i think i'm sure there's something else oh maybe it's just the the yellow torch and the yellow lights uh is what i've got written down but yeah the use of this color is it's really it's really popping off in this scene (laughs) (laughs) they have used it very 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 well um oh i lie i did have one final thing uh in my notes um, there's a really great shot um of the the boat, so we sort of mentioned as the how the light kind of moves across the boat when they first discover it. And there is a hot I don't know how deliberate this was or whether it was just like one of those happy coincidences, but there is a section that is like smashed out of the window or like taken out of the window, and it is like a perfect shark's fin shape. Um, <laughs> like, it literally looks like the dorsal fin of a shark. so, that's very cool i had not noticed that before either um i was so i was reeling from the the yellow barrel and then that comes like almost immediately after so i just like spent the first like 15 seconds of this scene just being like this is so good best scene ever um yeah (laughs) it's it's really it's really great um kim did you have anything anything else in your notes or anything else that you wanted to to mention in this scene
2: I think the only thing I had written down that I haven't mentioned is... Um, I mean, like you said, this this scene is sort of almost at the halfway point in the film. I think it's it's really um, good the way they sort of build up, I guess, the death in Jaws, and this sort of gets progressively um, like scarier and goreier. I mean, it kind of starts off with just like... Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the girl at the beginning's death is horrific, but you don't really see... A lot of it, and then when the, the little kid goes missing again, you don't really see any, a lot of it, it's just a lot of like blood. And then I think Ben is like horrible, uh, like eyes missing face with was horrible, I don't even know what it is that's coming out his eyes, like little tentacle vein tendons things are just like swimming in his eyes it's absolutely horrendous like i think um like you said the effects maybe not the greatest like dummy effect but i think also it sort of gets away with the chunk because you're like well he's been underwater for a while so he probably wouldn't have looked great anyway and then it just sort of ramps it up to like a guy getting his leg munched off and then Quint's death at the end which i actually forgot how horrific that was and i sort yeah. of question my mom's choice to show me it as a <laughs> child when i got to the that section but i think it's a good sort of yeah a good build up to the it sort of makes you get progressively more and more i think scared of the shark the more that you kind of see what it does and i think it's weird because you don't you don't really see a lot of what actually happened to Ben Gardner a lot of people online seem to think and I actually remembered it this must be a weird like Mandela effect thing I thought it was just his head um that came out of that hole and then when I watched it this time I was like oh you can clearly see his neck and his mm. shoulders and everything like but a lot of people were like his decapitated head his detached head it must just be this thing in your brain that goes oh it was a scary head it must be <laughs> decapitated when, yeah no it is it's not at all but um yeah it just I think it's you don't really I think because you don't really know what happened to him, you just sort of see his dead body in the sea started to take its effect. It's sort of a good midway creepy point before you see the shark actually Mm -hmm. munching people. So I think they build that up quite well rather than just starting out with all like blood and gore. So yeah, I think it makes a great sort of halfway victim point in the victim chronology of the film. (laughs)
1: yeah that's a actually a really good point um and it's like it's it's been a while right it's been a handful of minutes maybe about 15 20 minutes since Mm -hmm. alex kittner's death so it's it's like a good punctuation of Mm -hmm. of um not quite not quite action right it's not like an action sequence but of just something that's like more in line with the genre like something spooky or something creepy or something gross you know and and (laughs) Um, It still reminds you, like, this is a thriller movie and scary things happen in it. And, um, yeah, so it's got a good momentum as far as that goes, as far as, you know, uh, ramping up the intensity of the things that we see in, in view of the camera. And it actually, it is on the heels also of a victimless shark attack that is actually pretty tame in comparison to what had been ramping up before. So he kind of does this misdirect of like, okay, like that was bad, but it could have been worse with, um, Charlie and Den And, uh, now we see like the worst thing we've seen all movie in in this. So, um, there's a very good, uh, sense of like, not necessarily a false sense of security necessarily, but just like, um oh things are maybe starting to ramp down a little bit and nope right back to where we were uh plus plus um after alex Alex kittner's death so uh yeah movies really well put together um (laughs) i feel like that's something we've learned yeah movie's pretty good pretty good movie (laughs) uh well kim thank you so much uh for being here thank you for guessing on the show thank you very much i was yeah i was Super excited to talk about this scene. Like
2: uh Sarah said it was one of the ones I suggested that I wanted to do. And then when you actually sent me the timestamp, I was like, Oh, let's see what scene this is. And then when I fast forwarded the Blu-ray, I was like, Yeah, <laughs> I'm so happy. I get to watch this guy's head <laughs> fall out this boat about a hundred times. Yeah. I was delighted. This is yeah, definitely. I mean, I love Jaws, but this is definitely one of my my favorite scenes. It's just it just works every time. It's brilliant
1: yeah it's so good uh where can people find you on the internet and and what you do and your work on there
2: i also write for ghouls magazine which um just got launched a couple of months ago um by uh, zoe of zobo with a shotgun and that's um a lot of uh female and non-binary writers just writing about the female perspective and horror so you can yeah those are the two main places i also have my own blog called um little red horror uh if you want to check that out i'm usually comparing uh, remakes and their original films <laughs> to each other and again writing ridiculous lists because that's usually my my bag
1: <laughs> great um well you can find us on social media at uh you can find the show on twitter at jaws for a minute at jaws for a minute on twitter you can find sarah at sarah buttery s-a-r-a-h-b-u-d-d-e-r-y you can find me at M J Smith 891 and if you have any feedback for the show, the DMS are open on the jaws for a minute Twitter account, or you can drop us a line at jaws at gmail.com and uh, give us your feedback or, or reach out with cool stories that you have um, that way uh, you can also a way to support the show that costs you absolutely no money. But if you, if you like us, we would really appreciate it is to rate us and review us on your podcatcher of choice, um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify are probably the two that are going to have the most, quote, meaningful impact, whatever that means. And, um, yeah, uh, just do that. Or share us with your friends and your, your people on social media. Um, we were just featured in Film Stories on their website as the uh, UK podcast of the week that they highlight each week over there. So um, you've seen us tweet about it if you follow us on Twitter. But it was really, really great. So uh, thank you to M for reaching out and uh uh featuring us we really appreciate that um if you would like to throw some uh, money our way we would very much appreciate it and there are a couple ways you can do that um the first way is to get yourself some merch we have a t public and a Redbubble store and we have two incredible designs from alex um shout out to is it at hex ghosts um, yes social media um go follow him and uh his work because it's real good mm-hmm. both those designs are real great and i love them a lot so uh get yourself a kind of whatever they have so many options of, of things you can have that logo printed on and ships to you um to represent the show and uh yeah there's uh i love that it's jaws o'clock somewhere design <laughs> so much it's it's so good, it's so good. uh and you can also, if you would like to just donate to our coffee page and just buy us, you know, a, a coffee um, or a Jaws hot dog, <laughs> uh, you can uh, <laughs> you can do that through our coffee page. There, all those links are in the bio. We are having a contest, um, so if you donate to our coffee page, uh, you are automatically entered into a drawing to win some merch. So um, you can do that. I think the minimum is is it three dollars
0: yes i think so i'm not sure if there's like a an option of adding a different amount i think it's just multiples of that so you can buy like one coffee two coffee but it's yeah three three dollars three pounds whatever
1: okay um so yeah just any amount will get you entered into that drawing we'll put those names into a hat not actually a virtual hat and uh draw them out i guess not i don't know i don't know how you do it sarah maybe you will do it in a a hat maybe Uh,
0: a jaws hat
1: yeah there you go um and uh like a replica of Quint's hat yes uh,
0: exactly
1: and yeah so we'll we'll do the drawing um once we hit a certain amount of entries there so you can support us through that and uh thank you guys for listening if you have listened or have supported the show in any way possible it means a lot to us and we really appreciate it and yeah until next week it's jaws o'clock somewhere